Yes, sir. I'm going to draw it out just a little bit because it's the last episode. Yes, sir. Wait for it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Welcome. It is, well, once again, by the time you hear this, it'll be April 30th, 2020. Yeah, April 30th. All right. Yeah, April 30th, 2021. And this is the season finale of the premiere season of your favorite podcast, which is the Amen Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Purvis, and alongside me is my graduating or soon-to-be college graduate co-host within the next week. Congratulations to him. Brother Joshua Powell. Josh, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing good. Um, before Yeah, let me go ahead and do that. Um, thank you all. I guess that's where I should probably start. Thank you all for (laughs) listening to us, hanging out with us, sharing our content, engaging in our content. Thank you to our guests that have been on the show, Pastor McKinley Moore, and even as you'll hear later on in this podcast, our senior pastor at the Greater Shiloh Church in Eastern Pennsylvania, Pastor Philip Davis. Thank you for dedicating your time um, to us and giving us a lot of thought-provoking um interesting things for, uh, for us to be able to look at and to, for us to be able to receive from even uh, now and in the future. So thank you for that. Thank you to the audience. Thank you to my um, professor who allowed me to do this assignment, Dr. Rob McKenzie. Um, yeah, I guess that's somewhat of the preliminaries that you do in, a, in the season finale. I don't know. I'm, I'm new to this. But um, connect with us. Just because this is the season finale doesn't mean that we're not going to be on our socials in a sense um follow us on let me start with twitter because i always forget twitter y'all know me uh underscore the amen corner instagram the amen corner podcast facebook the amen corner podcast the link tree has all of the descriptions of um all of the different platforms that we are on and yeah so with that being said this is going to be yeah i think this is going to be our longest episode so, we're going to do our best to speed through the preliminaries, which are the trending topics. The gospel music highlight is going to um, delve into the second topic, um, in a sense. There's another thing that I may mention, um, if time will permit me. Alright, so, of course, in the last episode there always is something that happens negatively (laughs) as in most episodes that happen in our trending topics and once again um it is disheartening to hear about um what has recently happened almost it's not the same person but it was somewhat the same incident as far as not really the same incident but it was in the same topic of the same incident if that makes sense i'll explain more when i get into it um that happened and was involving a pastor from the famous Hillsong Church. Um, according to the Washington Post, yeah, I got this bad. Um, <laughs> y'all know most of my stuff is Christian Post and Christianity Today, but if the main news is covering you, you messed up, Doc. <laughs> um, 
Hillsong Church is rocked by yet <laughs> right. Hillsong Church is rocked by yet another sex scandal. As <laughs> a married New Jersey pastor, come on, Jersey though, resigns after sending photos of himself in very revealing gym tights to another woman, but calls it a honest mistake. Okay, Daryl uh, Barrett, 32 years old, resigned as creative director of Hillsong. Creative director? Huh? Never mind. <laughs> resigned as creative director of Hills. I guess that might be from the corporation standpoint. I, I, I hope you don't start calling pastors that. I, I'm sorry. I anyway, um, resigned as creative director <laughs> of Hillsong's Church Montclair. Oh, this is giving me a headache already. Montclair, New Jersey's chapter on Tuesday. Why are they saying this like it's a, like it's a, a club? Man. I need to chill. I, I'm sorry, y'all. It's like nine right now. <laughs> My filter is gone. <laughs> it's the season finale. Oh well. Um, yeah. If y'all get mad, take. If y'all get mad at me, take it up with the Lord. <laughs> Daily Mail has learned that the married father of two stepped down after sharing explicit photos. Oh my God! Showing off his long, uh, his large manhood. Pause. After a workout. <laughs> Who works at the Washington Post and why are you saying it like that? <laughs> I'm sorry to all the children that listen to this broadcast. I sincerely apologize. <laughs> the sex scandal comes just months after NYC Hillsong's pastor Carl Lentz was fired for cheating on his wife. In February, Barrett posts two photos on his close friend's Instagram story, which I, I got something to say about that. That at first glance seemed to be innocuous. Mot- I think that's what the word is. Motivational snaps. He was seen standing in front of a mirror wearing nothing but his white Nike Pro tights, which clearly outlined what appeared to be. Yeah, you get the point. Um, Barrett allegedly sent the photo to a former Hillsong volunteer and tried to play it off as a mistake, according to messages obtained by DailyMail.com. Hey, I think I might have added you to my close friends list by accident. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to figure out how the H to edit it. He wrote, "Oh Lord." Um, the pastor was photographed Tuesday outside the West Orange, New Jersey house he shares with his wife. He revealed that he resigned over the incident, but insisted that it was a honest mistake. Oh, brother. Um, I'm going to say something about this. But I'm not going to take in and buy into the narrative that I've seen a lot of people say when it came to Carl Lentz's situation. And also the pastor from Hillsong who did not want to speak out against the Black Lives Matter movement. Because a lot of people were using that as fuel to be able to say, see, this is why you don't need to be singing Hillsong and all that stuff in in your church. But truth be told, there's a whole lot of gospel artists and gospel record producers who aren't living nowhere near the music that they create and have not publicly shown that they live nowhere near the music that they create and yet we still sing their songs in church so yeah anyway that's i said that to say that's not the stance that i'm going to take on this i'm going to say this and this is for all for all the christian folk church folk whatever you want to call yourselves close friends hear me and hear me well close friends stories will be the Achilles heel of the saints in the social media age. The close friend's story will be the Achilles heel of the social media friends 
in this uh, let me say it again the close friend story will be the Achilles heel of Christians in this social media age there there is no reason why you should have like 50 60 people on your close friend story like there's no reason you should have 50 60 people on your close friend story that you would feel intimate enough to post things that you know would compromise your character <laughs> that's that that's my thing about it there's no reason why you should have it i maybe have like and and i'll admit i have a close friend story and i don't post like crazy foolishness like that it may just be some stuff that I may not want to post on that I think it's like, like I think it's funny, but like might be a little bit like a little bit messed up. But I might just want to post it on the feed or just maybe let a few of my friends see or something like that. But it, it ain't gonna be nothing like way, way, way out there. Like it's just been a whole lot of stuff that we've seen recently, and a lot of gospel artists and people with platforms, with gospel platforms. See, this, that, that's the problem that I have with it. When you have a close friend story and when you have a platform like that, regardless, there's always going to be somebody that may seem like they're in your corner, but at the end of the day, they're trying to do nothing but undercut you and undermine you. So if you post things like that on your close friend story, then that gives them room to bring that to the bloggers, bring that to the news reporters, and then that endangers your platform. You know what I'm saying? Like... You just need to stay away from it. Josh, how do you feel about this? Because you might, I know you're not going to say a whole lot for the, um, for the interview, but, um, do you have any words? You, you just got this blank look on your face. All I have to say is Lord have mercy. Felt that. (laughs) Oh goodness, bro. Like I just, I don't know what to say. Like, that's just crazy. Like why, what? Okay. My thing. Why even post that on Instagram? That's what that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, why? What? Like, what was his purpose of posting that? That's like, what, what was his purpose of posting that? Wait, he said he was the senior pastor of the church or the creative director at the church. They call it creative director, but he's really the he was really the he was more so a campus pastor. If they're saying it like that. Uh, so. Oh yeah, he definitely got fired for real. They said he resigned in the um in the article. Now we gotta look up where he was. <laughs> he yeah. was in um it says he was in Montclair in Jersey. He said where in Jersey? He was in uh Montclair, New Jersey. Mm, wow. Wow. <laughs> Jersey. Sheesh. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I'm just, I think I'm saying what I have to say, man. This is ridiculous. Wow. Wow, the story must continue. Yeah, Hillsong definitely needs to get some more extensive background checks to their pastors. Or not even that, just in that case, you need to teach a social media class to your pastors. And yeah, know who you're hiring. Right. Know who you're hiring. Know who you put in positions. Know the characters. Anyway, continuing. Um, I know y'all are tired of me record talking about this, but it's my show, so deal with it. Um, the Church of God in Christ 
had um, as far as news that's going on in there. Um, just yesterday, the Church of God in Christ convened their April call meeting, which is the time that um, the church discussed business um, and things of that nature. Um, in the Church of God in Christ, when it comes to our certain appointments of the different auxiliaries of the church, um, power is delegated to the presiding bishop in order to be able to pick and decide who he wants in his cabinet. Um, it's almost in the same form as when the president um, first gets into office and he begins to pick people to lead over certain departments. Um, so as many of you know that we've been covering that we recently elected Bishop J. Drew Sheard to be the new presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ. And Bishop J. Drew Sheard has officially selected his appointments for the ministry, uh, for the um, auxiliary leaders. He made a whole lot more appointments than, um, he made a little bit more appointments than what I'm going to say here. But um, these are the main appointments that usually you will see more frequently in the church um, due to the fact that they are all a part of what is known as the Auxiliaries and Ministry Convention or the AIM Convention, which is um, our summer convention that combines all of our ministries and auxiliaries that, um, that takes place. So when it comes to the missions department, um, it looks like we're going to have, I don't think I've seen this before, to be honest with you, that we have a uh, elect lady to go in the missions department to serve alongside the president. Um, the president still say the same, Bishop Vincent Matthews, he was doing a, um, a great job, and who also works with uh, my bishop from North Dakota, uh, the Bishop Michael Cole, but alongside him now is Supervisor Madeline Norfleet. Um, he kept the evangelism mm. department, um, Bishop Sheard's sister-in-law, member of the Clark Sisters, Dr. Dorinda Clark Cole is still going to be the elect lady, and Bishop Elijah Hankerson is still going to be the president. Um, for the Sunday School Department, um, Superintendent Mark Ellis will replace Bishop Alton Gatlin, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. who held that position during the era of Bishop Blake. Um, the Youth Department, complete changes. Um, as of now, it has been solidified that Superintendent Nathaniel Green um, out of Dallas, Texas, and um, Evangelist Vandalin Kennedy will serve as the Chairman and Chair Lady of the Youth Department, which is pretty much, which is really going to be a huge change and is a lot more huge than what people are saying because for the first time in, I want to say about 20 some odd years, uh, George Rogers is not the chair lady of the youth department. So it's going to be interesting to see um, where they take the youth department. And I know it's going to, I know it's nothing but good things that's going to come out of them um, as far as the plans that they have for that. Um, the vice chair people for the AIM uh, convention is Pastor Kale Mann, Chris Payton, Althea Sampson, Superintendent Makai Young. And now going into the gospel music highlight. Um, I was interested to see that Bishop Sheard chose uh, gospel singer Myron Williams to serve as the president of the music department. And here's why. Um, I was interested to see him because many of you know that he has been the minister of music at the Chosen uh, Vessel yeah, the Chosen Vessel, I think it's Cathedral, I don't know, or the Chosen Vessel, where um, Bishop Marvin Sapp currently pastors. Um, it's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, that's, well, he is the first um, man to serve as the head of the International Music Department, and I think he is the first one that may have had 
that much of an ecumenical connection. Yes, he is still a part of the Church of God in Christ. He's the son of the Church of God in Christ. Came up in the Church of God in Christ. But it'll be interesting to see um, what local assembly that he begins to help and what's going to happen over at Chosen Vessel Cathedral and who they choose to um, to replace him in that stand. But I believe that... Um, I know he chose... Bishop Shear chose Derek Starks to serve as... Um, Vice President to Myron Williams and Derek Starks also worked with Bishop Sheard. He was his minister of music for a little while, so I know that I pretty much saw that one coming. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Myron will already has a great amount of people that are in the music department. Come on, it's the Church of God in Christ <laughs> that are already there to um, lend help to him, and that will be there to make the music department stronger. And hopefully we'll be able to continue that Kojic sound that has been so distinctive to our denomination over the years. Um, also in the gospel music highlight, I did want to mention this. Um, famous producer, singer, gospel music artist, Paris Bowens, um, passed away from COVID-19. If that name sounds familiar to you, um, if you've ever listened to any of Ty Tribbett's albums, specifically his early Ty Tribbett and GA albums, um, the sound, the production that came out of that was... Um, Paris Bowens did play a huge part and a huge role in that and that's not just that's probably what he's most famous for but that's not the only artist that he's worked for um, he went into the ICU I want to say a week or two before he passed away and um, unfortunately he um, succumbed to the virus and that's just a reminder to let us know that um, the happenings concerning this pandemic is real and as much as we want to politicize it this pandemic has no respecter of persons um, or person's race, creed, or political affiliation. So, again, I implore you to be mindful of your social distance, and I encourage you to be able to make sure that you are following and adhering to the CDC guidelines that are in place. Wear your mask. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, like we said previously in the episode, thank you so much for um, listening to us for these past 12 weeks. Concerning the um, Amen Corner podcast, we have now reached the final main topic of our show here that we um, are going to discuss. If you tuned in last week, you know I had my um, former pastor from Minnesota, Pastor McKinley Moore, that was here with us. And we were discussing things concerning um, what was going on in the area of Brooklyn Center concerning the Dante Wright shootings. Um, This was something that I wanted to do um, for this episode in that I've really been planning for a long time. As many of you know, and as me and Josh have um, stated in previous episodes, that um, we attend Greater Shiloh Church in East... In, uh, I was about to say East Strasburg, but technically it is East Strasburg. But um, <laughs> in Easton and East Strasburg, Pennsylvania, even when we were up in college. Um, I'm right. so privileged to have the senior pastor of Greater Shiloh Church here with us today. Um, he is the host of Courageous Conversations as well on PBS um, 39, which is which you can receive if you're here um, locally in the Lehigh Valley. Um, so pleasure to have Pastor Phil Davis here with us on the Amen Corner Podcast. Pastor Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm better that I get to hang out with y'all. So um, I'm, I'm wonderful, man. It's, it's really great to be here. Thanks for the invite um, and giving me a, a space to, to talk. And if I talk too much, just tell me to be quiet. You know how preachers can be. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Um Certainly want to um, go ahead and get into the questions. Um, 
usually when I, as many of you may have listened to on the last podcast, usually when I interview um, people who are of faith or ministry, I usually like to set the stage as far as um, asking them how they got started in ministry in order to give them a background of how they are in the position that they're in now. So if you don't mind, Pastor Phil, you mind just telling us how you got started in ministry and how you rose up to the position of senior pastor that you now hold? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so my dad was a pastor, um, uh, not just here at, at Greater Shiloh, it was Shiloh Baptist Church at the time, um, but uh, he was a pastor prior to that. So I always looked at him as as my role model. Um, however, as I became a teen, I got a little rebellious and didn't want to do the whole ministry thing. Uh, you know, the world will, will, will infect you if you allow it to. And so uh, I turned the corner and, uh, you know, tried to run from God, went to college in California. Man, my roommate was a Christian. Um, and so, you know, he began to minister to me. And as much as I tried to do the other things, you know, ultimately the Lord brought me back home after a pretty difficult divorce. I got married at a young age. I was 21 when I got married. Uh, the first time I married my high school sweetheart, bad idea because she wasn't saved and I wasn't living like I was saved. So um, we lasted for a couple of years and then I ended up having to move back to my parents' house. When I moved back to my parents' house, lived in their basement, you know, my, my parents had a rule, you live in this house, you go to church. So um, I got up one Sunday morning and um, went down to the church. My father was preaching and the Lord spoke to my heart, man. And I just, I heard the word of God. Uh, he was preaching on um, a Joseph. Um, the title of the sermon was Turn It Loose and Let It Go. Mm. He was talking all the pain of your past and so forth and so on. Uh, so I got saved then, um, and I was always passionate about education. So while I was uh, growing in my faith, I noticed that some of the young men uh, were not uh, proficient in reading and understanding Black history. I've always been passionate about Black history. So I started, you know, doing a little thing in my parents' basement. Um, and before I knew it, we had a whole basement full of kids. Um, and so I said to my dad, you know, can we use the church? Because, of course, I was teaching them Black history, but I was also teaching them the Word. So uh, he was like, yeah, sure. And that's how the youth ministry at Greater Shiloh got started, because prior to that, there was no youth ministry. So wow. um, and we, we then started calling it New Generation Youth Ministry. We started doing Bible studies um, and changed from Black history to talking about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, that's how it started way back in 1995, um, before probably both of you guys were born. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the rest is history. So as I was serving in youth ministry, I felt the call to become a minister of the gospel. I went off to Bible school. Um, and, um, after a couple of years in Bible school, uh, became a licensed minister, uh, and then served as a youth pastor was ordained in 98 as a youth pastor. Um, and then from 98 to 2005, um, you know, I just served the vision of my father. Um, 2005, the Lord called him to, to go home and be with the Lord, um, and the church um, asked me to become the senior pastor. And so since 2005, May, um, really June 2005, I've been serving here as a senior pastor at the Greater Shiloh Church, and now we're in you know multiple locations, including Stroudsburg, Sanford, Florida, Bethlehem, and Haiti. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Most definitely. Um, certainly interesting to hear about um, really... It's interesting to hear about how you followed your father's vision specifically to um, to get to where you are now. And I feel like that's um, that's one thing that I feel like some young preachers and some ministers in today usually do not have the pleasure of getting um, yeah. to be able to have somebody who is 
older and experienced in leadership to be able to teach you and guide you to tell you what to do and what not to do. Um, I'm glad I had that when it came to me um, as far as my pastor that I interviewed last week, um, Pastor Mm -hmm. McKinley Moore, as far as him really being able to um, pour into me and instill into me the things that I needed for ministry. And I think that's definitely something that um, men of God definitely need in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, That's definitely a great story to be able to hear about too. So 2005, so I say you're about, I can't. I'm trying to figure out the math right now. 15, 15 years yes, going sir. on 16 in, yes, sir. in, in a couple months in 16 years. Absolutely. Wow. And um, what would you say? I'll, I'll go back and uh, reference some of the things that I asked my pastor when he was talking about his ministerial journey. Um, I'll first start off with this. What is the greatest lesson that you heard um, Pastor Fred teach you or that he taught you, I should say? That's funny. Um, uh, so I was I was just shooting my show, Courageous Conversations, and we were talking about, you know, the power of mentoring, so forth and so on. But my father said something. He said a lot of stuff. I always quote him, as you all know. Yeah. Um, he uh, said something that stuck with me as I was a young minister. He said, son, you, you always need to remember this. You need to have at least three people in your life, um, at least three. He called them men of God, mm-hmm. but I think he meant, you know, he meant men of God. So it was someone over you right who can pour wisdom into you um and correct you when you get beside yourself right someone who can speak life to you right and and give you wisdom you need to have someone on your level kind of like kind of like you and josh right your boys you're tight you you know about what one another is struggling with and so he said once you receive that information then you got to have somebody who keep you accountable right who iron sharpens iron what scripture says mm-hmm. um and then you need to keep somebody in your life that you can pour into so you're receiving you're refining right and then you know you're investing that into someone else and he said it keeps you balanced it keeps you accountable but it also keeps you humble um and and the, the, that was one of the um I would say lessons that stuck with me and I've always, as long as I've been in ministry, as long as I've been a Christian, um, since he told me that I've always had those three individuals in my life. Um, and sometimes it's multiple individuals, right? The pouring into, um, but I've, I've always had a covering, a pastor, a bishop, um, a man of God who can pour into my life and correct me when I, when I get off, off base. So yes, that's definitely some great information that you're um, that you're sharing with us at this point. So um, the one question I did want to ask, I was trying to think of it. Um, the last question: um, In these fifteen years, you've definitely seen a lot of things um, happen in ministry, and you've definitely been a part of a lot of great things that has taken yeah. place in Greater Shiloh Church, even to this day. Um, yeah. Out of the fifteen years that you have served in ministry, um, what would you say is your greatest ministry highlight? Highlight? Yes, sir. Ooh, you know, I'm um, I'm one who is very passionate about souls. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it would be an ongoing highlight. I still love to see people come to Jesus. Yes, sir. Like at the end of the day, the the great commission that is given to us in Matthew 28 says go ye therefore into all all the world world. now i'm blessed that not only now do we see people come to christ in the church but now online our online ministry is so is is so vast now so i would say the highlight is everyone every time somebody either raises their hand or every time somebody says 
you know, um, you know, I want to, I, I want Jesus. Um, and, and then I would say secondarily is licensing and ordaining other pastors and ministers to be able to multiply the work of the ministry um, and to be able to see them be able to go out um, and reach the world, whether that's, you know, evangelistically or pastorially or, you know, however God uses them when somebody raises their hand and say, yes, I feel the call of God on my life. Um, and then they want to they want to be launched into the I could go on and on. But I mean, those those two right uh, people coming to Christ and then people accepting their call. Right. And then going out. Um, to do the work that God has called them to. Yeah, so that's definitely a, um, a great highlight. And like you said, it's the ongoing highlight. Um, yeah. So I would like to, um, as you may know, that this is the last episode that we are doing as far as this mm -hmm. season goes. Um, during this season, we've talked about a lot of interesting topics, um, specifically things that have been going on as far as current events go. Um, yeah. The, like like you said, I see you shaking your head. It's, it's a lot of interesting things that um that's been happening. Um, when we first started doing our when we did our very first episode in January, um, we were coming off the hills of a presidential election, and as far mm. as the church and this and um, I don't, I don't want to sound too deep here, but the, as the spirit realm, as, as a lot of folks would say, yeah. it was it was a lot of things that were going on and transpiring that were very interesting and concerning to me. Um, yeah. one of those things that we specifically talked about was, um, the response of the evangelical church when it yeah. came to, um, how they received our former president, um, and really how they reacted to the new president coming in. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of things as far as what happened with that and the overall scope of the election, um, really tore a rift in the nation that we're still trying to bring together even to this day. So, mm -hmm. um, Specifically, what I was talking about when it came to those when it came to the evangelical church is that I felt as though the position that they were taking was very irresponsible in a spiritual matter, but was also very uh, irresponsible in a um, economic and political matter because it does not help to aid in the healing of the nation that needs to take place. So wow. um, the question that I really wanted to ask, as far as to being able to um, to start a conversation is that I asked Josh this as well in the beginning of the episode is what steps um, must the body of Christ take in order to aid in the healing of the nation? And I'd just like to get your opinion on that question. Um, I, I think there has to be, there has to be a reckoning with the historical inaccuracies that have been taught and yeah. promoted by the church. Yeah. Um, you know, there is no forgiveness without confession mm -hmm. and without repentance. Um, and I think that for so long, what we saw polarize the nation and polarize the church yeah. was this, um, this, this, this rehearsal of and um, acceptance of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, and now I get in, I get into all kinds of trouble when I start talking like this. But <laughs> the reality is, because I pastor a church that's really multicultural, right? Yeah. We we do have you know non African American um, members. But I think that uh, at the end of the day, we really have to uh, address the inaccuracies in the work um, that have been preached and taught across the pulpit um, to be able to bring healing. And there has to be an acknowledgement um, and a repentance from um, that, that teaching that has been inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus, right? So I, I believe it begins there. It begins with the leadership because the people follow the lead of the pastor. And so if you have a pastor who is in a place where he is not accepting of 
um, those truths, those historical truths, um, essentially what you're going to have is a people who will follow that lead. Yeah. But when you have pastors who are open to um, having real dialogue and talking about the historical truth, um, I think it helps the people see an example before them that causes them to want to align themselves, right? So that's number one. And then number two, um, I think that we have to come to a place of true prayer um, where we begin to seek the face of God because the second Chronicles, right, lays the whole situation out. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and, and pray, pray. Yes, right? And there's th at the beginning of that text, there's two critical things that are important humility and prayer that's good right and and the problem is a lot of people are praying but they're not humble in their prayer mm. so they're approaching the lord the wrong way it's like god prove to them that my agenda is right wow. right yes, sir. <laughs> and if and if and if, if if i can't humble myself and examine right the the areas of my heart that that are, are filled with falsehood and filled with pride, then ultimately my prayer is not even gonna have any impact, yeah. right? Because it's not gonna be in alignment with First John 5 talks about, it's not gonna be in alignment with the will of God. Um, and so I think that we really have to have prayer that does not go in with an agenda, but an open heart that says, God speak to me. And as you speak, right, then I'll be willing to move towards what your desire is versus my desire. So I think it, it has to be, right, this whole idea of confession, prayer, um, and repentance, and then it has to be this idea of us humbly approaching the throne of God with confidence, um, knowing that God desires to heal our hearts. So I believe it, I believe it begins in those two places. Um, I could go on, but it's critically important that those, that those things happen because if not, we'll continue with this polarized church. I think it was Dr. King. Uh, who said that the you know the most segregated place in America at eleven o'clock on a Sunday yes, sir, is church, still yeah. the church, yes, and that sir. is that is the truth. Um, and it's interesting that you touched on the fact that even though you have a multicultural church, that you still feel led to speak on these issues, and that's yeah. what um, that's something that I addressed in that episode that I somewhat have a problem with is that you see some evangelical churches that do that are multicultural and that do have um different ethnic groups within the church and you have mm -hmm. some pastors that will say oh um it doesn't matter if you're black this or whatever to still be able to and to a certain extent i believe that that statement is true but at the end yeah. of the day like i said in the episode there are some issues that affect certain communities that need to sure. be addressed and if sure. they're affecting those people in the church, then those issues need to be addressed and those issues need to be talked about and not glossed over. Right, right, right. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And and so what you'll find, and historically you study this out, you'll find that um, many a times uh, pastors are unwilling to address yeah. the issue that uh, of race because they're afraid of the backlash of the people. Right. So I've got a couple of friends who are white pastors who pastor multicultural churches. And for the longest time, up until last year, when George Floyd came, um, they would not address issues of race. It was just silent. So what they do. And this is this is biblical, I believe, to some degree. But you can't just disregard yeah. right, the humanity of the people that you're pastoring. They would talk about Jesus and God bless him because that's what we're supposed to do. But they would minimize the color of the skin. We don't see color in this church. Well, that's offensive to me 
because if you don't see my color, then you don't see my struggle. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so you're dismissing the color of my skin to, to excuse the terminology phrase, to whitewash yeah. the fact that black people are being killed in the streets, right? And that there's a disparity in, in our society around, around race. So um, yeah, and, and then you find that in many churches, um, black folks will follow a white pastor, but white folks, for the most part, on the majority, will not follow a black pastor. It's mm. very, it's a very small percentage yeah. um, of uh, you know Caucasians who will come and serve under a black pastor um, in a church for for an extended period of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to get in trouble. So thank you for saying. Yeah. That. I ain't got nobody to get in trouble with. So <laughs> <laughs> I've said it before. So you know they ain't gonna do that to me. They, what can they do at this point? Right. right. <laughs> um, I'm near retirement. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the next few episodes, um, we had a few things that we talked about in there. Um, we talked about the issue of COVID nineteen and yeah. how this pandemic has literally shifted how we do things across the world um we talked about how even when it comes to school we're going to be doing um zoom and things on we're going to be doing classes online even when we return to campus next semester um and even though josh is graduating his will be the first graduation in person that happens that we've had in almost a year um we were specifically talking about things that were happening with the pandemic and then we delved into what was going on with the church how yeah. you had some individuals and some pastors who completely shut down and just haven't opened back up even to this day. Um, right. And even then you still had some pastors who brought up the issue of faith as far mm-hmm. as um, how do we say that we close and still be able to maintain our faith in God and things like that. And almost thinking that doing things like that and opening up the church almost, um, expresses their full faith and their total belief in God. Um, Then we talked about the things as far as um, what role the church should have in the pandemic as far as um, due to the fact that we're not in the building, that we're not in the four walls. um, How do we evangelize? How do we go out into our communities? How do we still do things like that and and still be effective? So um, this is going to be a two-folded question, but I'm going to have you uh, ask the first question. Um, which is what role should the black church have in the pandemic? Because this was really like a, um, we almost kind of talked about this in three different formats, but it was a little bit in like, uh, it was in different episodes. Because this episode, um, based off of this question, was about the black church documentary that had happened. And how mm. um, they had talked about- oh, PBS? The, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, PBS yeah, station yeah. that he works on. Um, <laughs> how we talked about the role of the black church as far as civil rights and things like that and how we've come into a major point in our history as far as world history uh, United States history as far as civil unrest and things that are going on so what role should the black church have in this pandemic I mean there, there's uh, so many um, levels to that so I'll, I'll try to be brief uh, number one I think that the the the, the intersection of faith and wisdom become critical to any pastor who calls himself a shepherd, yeah. right? And feels responsible at some level for the people that God has assigned to him. I'm sorry, I'm by the railroad tracks. So I, I don't good. know if you guys can hear that or not. Um, but, right, there's an intersection of faith and wisdom. And, and I think that for us, March 12th, last year, we were sitting in a conference room 
and uh, somebody who works for Lehigh Valley Health Network called me and said, there is a wave coming um, and mm. you should really consider shutting down the church, a member of the church. Mm. Um, and, and I'm like, ah, we ain't scared of no wave. You know, <laughs> we, we got this. Um, and I sat with my staff and, um, and we talked about it. And um, I said, all right, well, since this seems to be pretty serious, we turned on the TV, looked at the news, so on and so on. And then we prayed. Um, and, uh, you know, we asked the Lord for wisdom. And, and, you know, so at the end of that meeting, we said, oh, we're going to have church one more Sunday, and then we're going to shut it down. Well, I left, and I got in my car. I was driving home, and I heard on the radio uh, some, some disparaging numbers, and I was like, all right, we're shutting it down. We're not even going to wait a week. Yeah. But the blessing for us was that we were already online, right? We're already on Facebook, already on YouTube. Um, shout out to Pastor Brandon, right, because he's the one who really pushed me to, uh, to, to become – uh, you know, media driven in, in that way. Yeah. So for us, it was not a difficult transition. As a matter of fact, all our numbers went up except for our salvation numbers. Uh, you know, giving went up, our, our, our community really kind of connected around um, keeping community. So how should we lead in a, in, in a pandemic? Let me just, let me get to your question. Um, I think this, that you still have to lead even when you're not gathering. So one critical thing is teaching people to live out their faith no matter what comes their way. We preach it from the pulpit all the time. Yeah. But tribulation, trouble comes, it doesn't mean that you lose your faith in your Christianity. Mm -hmm. So what we had to do, what my job was to unify the leadership around uh, making sure that we understood our Christian responsibility. And that is number one, to make sure we honor and worship the Lord. Number two, to cover the people that are serving with us, right? So in our church, every deacon has a group of people that they're responsible for. So I was on a leadership call every Monday with them. Every Monday night for a year, we talked about the church. We talked about the people. We talked about ministry. And then we said there's certain ministries we're not going to shut down. Our food pantry, we're going to continue to go, right? Yeah. And we're going to use wisdom, but we're going to continue to go. We created a fund, um, which was our emergency relief fund. We gave away over $50,000 uh, during the pandemic to families who were struggling, lost their jobs, people who were going through you know, couldn't pay their bills, you know, didn't have, um, you know, the necessary, everything from insurance to rent to, you know, helping folks out. And we, we opened it up to the whole community. We said, if you have a need, call us and we will bless you. Like we raised probably $70,000 over the year mm -hmm. and we distributed those funds. We distributed food, right? We did outside services to, you know, probably three or four throughout the year to give people an opportunity to still come together. We called and checked on our seniors right, um, and checked on our membership. All of that, I think, is about leadership, yeah. right, and the role of the church not to, if we have to close the doors, we understand that we are the expression of the church, right? We are the, what the Greek word calls ecclesia, those who have been called out. So just because we can't come to a building doesn't mean we stop serving. Yeah. And so we served, right? Um, we partnered with the county to, you know, transport people to the homeless shelter, um, because we have an emergency homeless shelter in our church, but we continue to do that, even though we couldn't allow people into our building in that way, we continue to connect by by serving in that capacity. I, I don't want to go on too long, but oh, I no, think you get it. Yeah. Um, you know, we launched the Bethlehem campus, believe it or not, yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. It, it's a bilingual uh, campus. And uh, after meeting with Pastor Miriam, Pastor uh, Minister Dave, we were like, look, if, if we feel called to do this and we got to do it in a wise an intelligent way. Um, and we were able to do that because it wasn't a large gathering. So they were meeting and then we just acquired a building 
um, and let them meet in that building. So all through the pandemic, they were meeting in Bethlehem. Um, and by the grace of God, we were able to come through. Our senior citizens home, our Nehemiah transitional home, all continued to run. So we didn't shut it down and tell the people they had to leave Nehemiah. Um, we continued to do ministry and serve the people in that community. So, you know, I believe that the church is rolling. And then, you know, uh, probably about a month ago, uh, we, we vaccinated 300 people. Yeah. Um, and I caught some flack for that. They're like, you're, you're getting people to mark of the beast. And you know, <laughs> that you're, 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 you're causing people, you're leading people to slaughter. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, so some super spiritual people thought, you know, this is not the role of the church. Well, we've never been a traditional church, right? Yeah. We, we do things that are, um, that we believe are in alignment with, with the heart of God. Black folks are dying at two times the number of white folks and, you know, from this t pandemic, mm -hmm. right? 44% of black businesses are going out of business permanently. Yeah. Um, so when you think about those numbers, us being able to provide the vaccine and I got the vaccine and I'm fine, no third eye on my head, my limbs are not falling off. Right. But that Same to here. me I was, was a little bit tired. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I slept for a few days, but I, I still got <laughs> Right, right. But that that to me was leadership because here was the thing. There were people in our community who couldn't get shots. Yeah. So I called the president of St. Luke's and, and, and the director of marketing and said, listen, well, actually, they called me and asked us, did we want to partner? Um, and, and I was like, absolutely, yes. But here's the kicker. you got to do it at the church and we got to take anybody and everybody who comes according to CDC guidelines. And so we were able to get it done. Um, you know, your mom was there, Josh, like she, she, she was there and oversaw and work with the people that were coming in, um, and 300 people. And they weren't all just church members. These are people from the community, yeah. right. That came and they got their shots as well. And they were walking in off the street. I got on Facebook and said, listen, we're done at two o'clock, but if you haven't got your shot, get to Shiloh. I called the County executive. Now him, I did call and said, listen, we got shots at Shiloh, send your folks over. And people were coming white, black, brown, red, didn't matter anybody who walked in the door was able to get a shot. And to me, uh, Michael, Joshua, this is what leadership looks like in yeah. a pandemic, right? Seeing the need, feeling the need, having the courage to go against the tide, mm -hmm. right? And not being afraid of what people will do or say when you make those kind of decisions. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a lot of the things that we talked about. And that's really what we felt like the role of the church should be, is to be able to finally push out of those four walls. And yeah, technically, absolutely. since we're not, since we're a geodesic dome, I don't know how many walls right, we have. Right. So, wall. <laughs> so to be able to get out of that area and to be able to open our, open ourselves to the community and express the gifts that God has given us to yeah. the community. So, um, mm -hmm. since we're on the pandemic, um, hopefully, like I said, God willing, I don't know how things are going to turn out in the next few years as far as, um, what will be planned, but vaccines are rolling out. And we're yeah. starting to see some cases come down and it looks like we're getting into that transitional period of how we transition out of yeah. COVID-19. Um, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people saying that we're going back to normal, but in my opinion, there's been too many things that have happened to ever go back to the normal that we knew. And, and that is, that is You're long right. gone. Um, right. So since we are going to be embracing this new normal, um, within the next years to come. Um, the role of the church, as far as what we do now, um, has has shifted and will continue to shift in the next few yeah. years. So um, what role do you see the church having um, when we get to that space where the pandemic is over and we're coming on the end of, 
um, this trial and tribulation known as COVID? Um, you know, that's a great question, uh, Mike. I think that um, we have to continue to be creative to do ministry. Yeah. Uh, we have to take up our level of service to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, George Bonner did a really cool study and talked about, you know, how your generation, how millennials um, really view the church and what the church should be doing. And at the top of that list was community service, right? So um, your generation wants to be a part of a church or part of a religious organization that is actually making a difference in its community. So I think that, I think that for us as a church, we have to really ramp up what we're doing right outside of the wall. Now our church, bless God, we do a lot in the community. We're not, we're not one of those churches who just, it's all about, you know, being in the, in, in the four walls of the church, but I think we have to take it up some. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're like this Saturday, we're doing a, um, we're doing a house, um, I'm sorry, a legacy seminar talking about life insurance investments. You know, uh, we got probably 35 people signed up from the community Mm -hmm. who are going to meet with some people to talk about that. Um, in the month of June, uh, we'll be doing a first time home buyer seminar, right. To teach people how to buy houses, how to save for houses. And we're putting together a fund that if people go through a certain class, we're going to give them $5,000 to help them purchase their first home. Wow. Right. Uh, um, you know, thirdly, our outpatient restorative long-term structure residence is opening up. The construction is happening on that right now. What does that do? That helps people with intellectual disabilities who are in prison, get out of prison and come live in our facility so they can receive the forensic psychological services that they need. You'll appreciate that, Josh, your psychology major. Um, but they can receive sure. those kind of services, you know? And so, and so being able to see where there is brokenness and be a light or a uh, repairers of the breach, as Isaiah says, mm-hmm. to be able to rebuild those broken places. I think that is the responsibility of the church. And we will have to be intentional about reaching people um, with the gospel um, in a way that looks like, right, Jesus fed the 5,000 after he ministered to them. He, he had compassion because they were hungry. So bring me your food, right? And they took the little boy's lunch and, you know, they fed 5,000 people, not including women and children. There were 12 baskets left over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we have to be about that type of ministry because I believe that type of ministry helps people see the love of God um, and can um, draw them um, to want to know this Christ that we preach about. Yes, sir. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so shifting from all the pandemic talk, um, okay. for many years, um, we talked about this in the episode, um, this topic, I want to say, but for many years, um, and Josh can probably test this more because he's born and raised in this church. Um, I, only been, I ain't been here for too long, but I've been here for a little while. But from what yeah, I've boy. seen, um, Greater Shiloh Church has always been very instrumental in having women in ministry yeah. um, um like you said your um your father was a pastor and your mother was also alongside him uh as far mm-hmm. as pastoring and in that same manner your wife pastor christina is alongside you as mm-hmm. um as co-pastor of the church and we also mm-hmm. talked about a lot of the um the stigmas in church that come along with having women in ministry in some organizations or some different spaces and how they feel we also got into a little bit of a um of a theological argument in that in some stance, as far as what um, Paul was saying when he said, I prefer women not to teach what the overall Mm -hmm. original translation of that meant. We've talked about that a little bit in conversation, but um, 
I was more so the percent and the persuasion of the fact that God uses who he wants to use whenever he wants to use them, however he wants to use them. Um, as far as how I felt about women in ministry and of course um, the legacy of Shiloh and the legacy that you continue to carry as senior pastor is also definitely an attestment to that statement. So um, mm -hmm. the question I wanted to ask in order to create conversation in that episode was um, what steps can the church make in order to be more accepting of women leading in ministry? And also I even uh, attested to the fact that Josh's mom also serves as one of the pastors yeah. of the church. So. Elder, yeah. Elder Hattie, Pastor Hattie is one of our longest standing, um, you know, uh, elders in the, in the church and pastors in the church, notwithstanding Pastor Juanita. Yeah. Um, I think she was the second one, uh, you know, who was ordained. So, yeah, um, I can answer that very simply. Um, you know, I watched the, um, the presidential um, address last night mm -hmm. and President Biden turned around and said for the first time, right, in the history of the nation, there's two women. Yeah. Right. The vice president and Nancy Pelosi, um, the speaker um, behind President Biden. Now, that's in the secular world. I get it. Right. You know, I know about the separation between church and state. Yeah. But th that that speaks to something. Right. That there is an awakening. Um, and for for eons, the church has been misogynistic yeah. um, in its approach. Um, and. There was some real gender bias, um, but the truth be told, some of the best preachers I've ever heard have been women. Listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, you understand? Um, and so in some churches, they were allowed to be evangelists, right? In some churches, they would be everything except for a pastor leader. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just um, ordained, not ordained, but installed uh, Pastor Selena Brown um, as the campus pastor um, at the North Campus. So she is now our campus pastor wow. um, up there uh, for the first time, right? We have a single female mm -hmm. who under the banner of Shiloh is literally um, pastoring and shepherding a congregation. Um, you know, to your point, what does the church have to do? I think we have to continue to challenge um, historically held norms. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the challenges is, is that tradition can outweigh illumination yeah. um and so because there is a tradition that is in place right even if the illumination or the revelation you know some people say there's no more revelation but illumination i think you know brings us to a deeper understanding of the word of god mm -hmm. that illumination then gives us this understanding that as you said god can use whoever he desires you know and i go back to this reality that jesus you know, didn't appear to the men first. <laughs> Truth be told, he appears right. to the woman, right. right? At the at the at the tomb, right? And and Jesus doesn't release the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria, but after he's done with her, she goes and preaches and converts the whole city. Mm -hmm. Right? What does she tell him? Come, Come see a man. man. Yes, sir. Right? Um, and and so she's bringing people to Christ. And so when I think about that, and I'm glad you all talked about context with the Apostle Paul and what he actually meant, right? And I think that so often we get so stuck in a space, but you got to understand America is built on the patriarchy, mm -hmm. but the patriarchy is about white men maintaining power. Um, and so it that same patriarchy has carried over into the into the church um, in the Western civilization, and it still exists in many forms, but there are people who are coming to the light, right? That are saying, you know what? It's okay for a woman to preach the word of God as long as she's lifting up Jesus, mm -hmm. um, right? As long as she's declaring it um, in a way that honors the Lord, 
That's like anybody. So I, I agree with you all. So we have to be intentional about tearing down my, what my dad used to call, and he was a rebel anyway, right? <laughs> he used to call it um, unproductive tradition. Mm. Unproductive tradition chooses to oppress um, as opposed to liberate. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. unproductive tradition, if you're not careful, you know, not that I'm, you know, judging anybody, but you'll tell women they can't wear pants, right? And, you know, in, in certain churches, you still, you don't go in there with pants because that's just what the scripture says, right? Mm -hmm. You don't mix cloths and all that other kind of stuff out of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that when we challenge unproductive tradition, we liberate people. And I believe the gospel is about liberation, not about oppression. Um, so we've got to be intentional about giving and creating space for women who feel called to empower them and let them go. Now, here's the reason that I ordained um, or installed Pastor Selena. She's faithful. Yeah. She's called. She's anointed. She does the work, mm -hmm. right? So what do I look like when it's time to put a campus pastor in? And she's been there since 2009. Yeah. I licensed her. I ordained her. I've watched her. She's been in youth, young adults, children's ministry, right? And any place else she's needed to serve college ministry. Any, and what do I look like saying, well, thank you for your service, uh, but we're going to bring in Joe Schmo over here who's going to come in, who hasn't been in the campus, doesn't know the people like Selena does. Yeah. So it's about being intentional and tearing down unproductive tradition and allowing the word of God to be primary versus, um, you know, tradition. Most definitely. And um, it's funny you're talking about tradition because in a way you're touching on a lot of what we talked about um, in this past recent episode before you began our interviews and really what my next yeah. question was going into. Um, there was a really famous gospel singer, I want to say a few weeks ago, this um, came up in our conversation, who had really um, came out of the Church of God in Christ tradition that uh, um, the domination I was born and raised in that was really speaking on um, the fact that the church is moving in the wrong way and it is displeasing that they are beginning to hold on to some of the traditions that were really rooted in misogyny and misconstrued scripture. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I, that's not what she said, but that's really what I got out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then we got into a talk about tradition in the church and how yeah. tradition has not only, um, held up misogyny but it has really uh, torn a rift in the church mm -hmm. as far as um, people who are baby boomers and in the older generation versus individuals who are in my age and how they connect and how they're able to gel together um, yeah. based off of how we feel about each tradition um, mm -hmm. and how that has really not benefited the church in the best way I even um I think I mentioned this in the episode. I mentioned how I didn't even know you had said this in the sermon and I had never even actually thought about this, how um, the holding up of the one finger that we do in church, how that actually comes from slave times when um, yes. the slaves used to actually used to let their masters know that they were going to the bathroom and things like that. And just the many mm -hmm. things that um, I read somewhere else that the white gloves that the ushers wear were because they didn't want the slaves touching the money. Um, it's, right. just, it's a lot of things that are rooted in slave culture rooted in misogyny mm -hmm. and rooted in misconstrued scripture that we still uphold in our churches. So um, sure. the question I wanted to get into then was what steps should the church take in order to unlearn these harmful traditions? You know, and I'll say this, and, and I'll say this, um, it's very, it's, it may sound repetitive, yeah. but it, it has to begin with the leader yeah. um, because people do follow their leader. Um, and, if 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 the leader is bound, the people will be bound. Yeah. 
or they'll or they'll leave, right? Um, and find some place where they can be free. So if the leader gets liberated, if the leader um, or the pastor or the apostle, the prophet, the whoever is leading that organization mm-hmm. or that church um, gets liberated, then what you will hear from the pulpit, what you will hear in the Bible studies, what you will hear, you know, um, in the classes will be about liberation. But if they are oppressed, right, then you become someone who then rehearses and that's, I'll be honest with you, is one of the reasons that I went to Bible school, and I've been in Bible school for many years, um, I, I, you know, um, chose to go to Bible school because I wanted to be able to, because there was a bunch of scripture that I didn't get. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, I would get the answers that I was like, that don't make sense. So, you know, and I was a bit of a rebel myself. Yeah, I, so I was really in the black power when I got saved. I was I was the Malcolm X dude. My wife still tells the story. When I met her, I had my Malcolm X glasses on, <laughs> my little black cross onk, you know, and I was running a voting drive in the back of the church. I was Christian, but I wasn't fully, pers- I was persuaded about Jesus, but I wasn't persuaded about this black church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's when I met Christina. And I, my first question to her was, are you registered to vote? Um, but, uh, you know, I said all that to say, um, you know, I think that liberation is critically, critically important. And I went to Bible school because I wanted to, I wanted to interrogate the scripture. Mm-hmm. But when I really begin to interrogate the scripture, I begin to find the spirit of the word, yeah. right? And I begin to find meaning of the word and that freed me. And once I got free, I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, but you know, it's been a long arduous journey for me because as I said, um, being a pastor's kid, um, what can I say? I saw a lot. Yeah. What most people don't see, um, I saw a lot. And I saw and heard way too much um, <laughs> to be a pastor's kid um, because you're let into places and spaces that um, other normal kids aren't let, let into. And it, it made me um, leery in some ways. Not that they were doing anything um, you know, unscrupulous. It was just that people were saying stuff that I was like, these people are supposed to be Christians, right? right? And I'm not talking about my mom and dad, I'm talking about other people. I would go to their house and, you know, sit at the dinner table after church. That's what you do, right? You go to your yeah. friend's house and you would hear all kinds of craziness. And I was just like, you know what? This ain't for me. I'm I'm, I'm just going to go. I'll still love the Lord, but I don't want nothing to do with the church. So that's that was my plan, but God had a different plan. Yes, <laughs> he yes, had a sir. different plan um, in place. So the last question that we have, and this may take up a little bit of time, that's why I say that that's the last one. But um, even through the pandemic, even through a lot of the things that we've been experiencing, um, there has been a lot of civil unrest that has just shaken up the entire country. Um, Like I was telling you before we got on here, um, even when it came to uh, the George Floyd situation, it was um, a lot of things that I felt the connection to when it came to that because it happened in the area that I spent a, a very good part of my life. I, I can yeah. remember driving in Minneapolis, right? And right looking, looking at the place where he got killed at, um, his, wow. where his funeral was is where, um, when we were a part of the Minnesota jurisdiction in the church of God in Christ, that's where we had our convocation every single year. Um, wow. my pastor also attended his funeral, even the people that were the musicians and singing and all those things like that. I knew them. I was, um, associated with them in those ways. Um, but Dante Wright was a little, that, that stung me a lot because that was in the area that I went to church at and I grew up at specifically. Um, I spent a lot, 
I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Um, I was we lived in Plymouth, but you know when you when you part of church, you, the church is your second house, you know. Um, yeah. And I was even talking to my pastor about that last episode, how it happened just a mile away from where our from where uh, the church was at that we grew up in, and yeah. um, I was asking him as far as what role the church would have, and um, I'll I'll be sure to send you the episode of it. But he was talking about how the churches even in that area they um he got all the he is the head of the um the brooklyn center council of pastors so they came together mm-hmm. and um and brought a prayer vision he be, he was saying the impact that it had on him because the same department that it happened that he was the chaplain of for 10 years and actually um knew didn't really have a full relationship but he knew the woman who actually um murdered dante wright and wow. um he was talking about what the church was doing in that area, um, the fact that there were a whole lot of protests and things that were going on in those areas, how the churches were offering the people food, they were offering the people shelter, um, and the fact that they didn't have the opportunity to return home and to return to get the yeah. food and the necessities that they needed. So they opened up the church and opened up the doors in that fashion to be able to house the protesters and people that were going out and marching in the street. So that was his answer to that question as far as what they are doing specifically um and he also when it really came to what we talked about in the episode because we um expounded on that um on this question as far as what role should the church have um and i'll i'll let you answer but i just want to let you know what we said as far as um our opinion on i said that the church must be um peaceful in their reaction but they can't be passive in their reaction as far as um yeah i like it we should still um, manage to speak to the issues in our community, but we should not be able to incite a lot of the violence that even happens not only in, you know, the uh, the ur- the non-urban communities that we sort of saw a little bit more of in the riots that happened right. with, with Floyd, but there was a lot of things that happened in our own communities as far as mm-hmm. the um, destruction of our own communities and things that were happening in there. So I do want to ask you, I know that um, as far as what your PBS show is about, as far as making conversations about things that happen and highlighting people um, who are wanting to make a difference? Um, what role should the church have in these times of civil unrest? So, um, you know, I think that um, to your point, there was a time when the church was a center, yeah, right of the civil rights movement. And it's—I don't mean to cut you um, off, but that's um, that's one thing that we talked about is that really since Dr. King died the church has not been the central area of the civil yeah. rights movement. So what role do we have in that area? Yeah, yeah no, um, that's fine. Uh, I, I, I think that, that well, during that time, everyone knew that if you're gonna organize, you organize at a church. Yeah. If you're gonna march, it began at a church and it ended at a church, right? Yep. Edmund Pettus, right? When they crossed the bridge, right? Began at a church mm-hmm. and you know, the, the, the problem is, the problem I think is um, a lack of leadership. But you didn't ask that question. You asked what role should the church have? Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it was nice when the George Floyd um, uh, march happened here in Easton. Um, they they called the police chief and the, poli- the, the people who were organizing the march, and they said, you don't want to have a march in Easton unless you include Shiloh in it, right? So, um, and then I spoke to them, and they were like, you know, will you come and kick us off with a prayer? Uh, we want to have a peaceful march. So I met with the organizers, and you know, we were engaged at that level to ensure that like, this is what we're trying. We're not be throwing bricks and rocks and all that other kind of stuff. So the, the church should still be a voice. Even if we are not at the center, 
right? We should be a voice that brings blessed are the what peacemakers, yep. right? So that, that there should be an opportunity for us to have an influence and to provide direction. Um, I believe that the movement right now is moving by young people because you all are on Twitter, Snapchat, uh, you know, and all these things that us old guys aren't on. But I think that um, there should be a collaboration and a partnership that happens with community organizations and that the church should always be at the table. Yeah. So that means that if, if we hear of a meeting, we need to press our way to the table if the table is not at the church. So because things have shifted uh, somewhat and that the community is now really leading the organization, we still have to make sure that we're at the table, that we're present, and that we are, as you said, a calming voice, right? One that um, espouses the teaching of Christ, right? And one that espouses the, the foundational truth of the great commandment, which is that you will love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that means we can disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable. Um, you know, and, and I think that that means that we have to have the courage to go into places and speak truth. I tell you this, and y'all know I have the show, I've never been able to say white supremacy as much as I've said white supremacy in my lifetime, right? <laughs> if I would have said it five years ago, they'd have run me out and called me, you know, and tried to try to do whatever they, but now it's acceptable. The moment is now yeah. to speak to the historical um, systemic oppression, to speak to uh, the, the historical, you know, racism, uh, things like redlining and all that other kind of stuff that happened that caused African-American community to be in the situation that it's in right now. So so um, the church has to be at the table. We have to be at the forefront and we can't be scared. We can't be scared to speak on issues of race. We can't be scared to speak on issues. You know, here's the reality. Um, um, Jesus was an interrupter, yeah. right? He disturbed everything that he walked into. And because of that, there is a social context of the gospel. Right. Ultimately, it's spiritual, but there is a societal, social context to the gospel. And Jesus exemplified that. And if he is our Christ and our leader, right, then we have to follow his example and not be afraid to go into the room and turn over tables. If there is spiritual, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, inappropriate behavior. Right. Jesus he made a whip, went in, turned over the table, said, y'all turn this into a you know, a den of thieves. And my father said it's going to be a house of prayer. Right. So there is this, um, you know, spiritual response, I think, that causes us not to be timid, um, not to be passive, but but to be Christ like and still speak truth to power. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the model that I think the church needs to examine. And we like I said, and, and I also think and I'll, I'll stop here that we need to be a place where people feel safe to speak truth. Yeah. So, you know, that our courageous conversations didn't start on PBS. Mm -mm. Our courageous conversation started in the church. Well, I took a Wednesday night Bible study and said, we're going to talk about race. And I invited my friend. He's a white pastor, Pastor Randy Landis um, from Life Church. I invited Pastor Eric Schwartz. I invited some other um, Caucasian pastors, but they didn't want to come. So Pastor Randy's the one that showed up. Oh, no. Uh, some folks from Cornerstone actually came when Pastor Jay and Pastor Brandon facilitated. But there needs to be a safe space to be able to speak your truth doesn't mean you're against white people it just means there's a space that has to be created and what better place to speak truth than in the church in the context of the gospel of christ jesus so uh, i think i think we lead in those ways yeah i think um the um what you said concerning as far as the church 
making sure that they're in places of leadership. That's something that I was trying to get to, but I didn't really have a chance to talk about that when we addressed that episode. And um, even when I interviewed my pastor from Minnesota, even when I was watching what he said at the um, at the prayer vigil that they had over in Brooklyn Center, yeah. um, as far as being able to make a safe space for the church, um, he said yeah. something along the lines of that when humans, and specifically black Americans, see things like this, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get upset because of the repetitiveness that, and because of the repeated action that we continue yeah. to see that that has little to no repercussions that happen because of it. And when we see those things in our natural human emotion allows us to get frustrated where if we want to riot or if we want to loot and things like that, that is how our frustration is going to come out. So by opening yeah. up that space in the church, to be able to allow people to come in and express their frustration in a safe and a calm manner that offers them the teachings of Christ, the gospel of, of, of the word and things like that, that allows right. them to be able to safely, calmly, and effectively release their frustrations in a way that'll be able to de-stress them in a way of the things that yeah. are going on in the outside world. Yeah, yeah. Dr. King said rioting is the voice of the oppressed. Yes, sir. Right. So, and, and you know, it just it just elevates the voice of the frustration of people. And then um, the, the the last thing I'll say is that you know when we see these repeated uh, things happening, it's trauma. Yeah. It's reintroducing us to trauma, and trauma has uh, you know, Josh, you know, that trauma affects you at a cellular level, right? And and so um, I, I did uh, some research on what they call epigenetic trauma, right? Um, and epigenetic trauma is trauma that can be passed down from generation to generation. Um, and just imagine the trauma that black folks have been through since 1619, since we've been here and before really. Um, and that trauma impacts one generation and then it impacts the next generation. And so we see manifestations of behaviors of, of what I'll call epigenetic trauma that has been passed down for generations. It's not the first time we've seen somebody killed in the streets. They were hanging our folks in the middle of the square, you know, and taking postcards with it, you know, back in the, you know, 30s and 40s. So, you know, and, and even earlier than that. Um, so this trauma is a reality. And every time George Floyd comes on, every time Ahmaud Arbery, every time Breonna Taylor, right? Every time, you know, uh, we see this, it reintroduces us to trauma and trauma has a long lasting effect on the psyche of individuals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, well, that really concludes a lot of the questions that we have. This is going to be a little bit of an open-ended question, but I, I can't get it off my mind. Um, Shiloh's been doing a lot of things since we've reopened as far as yeah. um, having service, things like that are in the, in the community. Um, I want to re-step back into a question that we asked as far as what role do you see the church having after the pandemic is over? I want to ask you yeah. as senior pastor of Greater Shiloh, what role do you see Greater Shiloh having as in even now in the pandemic as we continue to navigate through it and even after yeah. we get out of the pandemic? Yeah, I think I think we have to continue to first and foremost at the foundation of our church, we got to continue to lift up Jesus yeah. because people need Christ in a moment and in a time like this, they need Jesus, we need Jesus. I think that has to be our primary way. We got to continue to maximize our internet presence um, you know, we may even take a TV presence as well to be able to get the message of Christ out. The moment we stop doing that, we stop existing in a way that is biblically sound. Um, yeah. And then I think we have to engage, right? We have to re-engage. So as you know, we are, uh, you may have heard the announcement on Sunday where we, you know, looking for a youth pastor, youth minister, young adult pastor, your generation. We've got to re-engage yeah. um, this, this group of individuals who have, you know, 
become really comfortable with not being in church, right? So we've got to find out what's going to move them, right? What's going to engage them? How can we plug them back in? And how we how can we connect and re-engage? Because a church that doesn't have young people doesn't have a future. Um, and so I am, I am, I've always been passionate about youth. Um, and so I know that for us in this season, one of the critical components to our ministry is we've got to re-engage our you know, our, I'll say our 35 and under, yeah. right? Everyone down, that includes young adults, that includes youth, that includes children. Um, because right now we don't have children's ministry, right? Right now we have no 228. Right now, you know, our young adults ministry is not up and running. And so we have to re-engage that space. Um, as a matter of fact, on the off note, I'm gonna talk to y'all two about it um, to see how to see how we can really make that happen and get your ideas because you're plugged into this generation and we yeah. really need to... Uh, we really need to do that. So I think in the pandemic, Mike, um, Joshua, uh, we really have to be intentional about reengaging our millennial. And I don't even know what comes after millennial, but reengaging that that um, that group of people to help them participate in the in the community of faith, not as a separate entity, but as a part of the body. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I definitely think that is something of the utmost importance, and I think that Shallow is already on that track. Um, since yeah. the fact that we are known in the community not just for being a good church, quote unquote, or just having good church, but for doing right. things that are in the community and actually have an impact on the community of Easton. We're on a hill physically and yeah. spiritually. So, I like that. You know what I, I mean? Like so um, <laughs> the fact that everybody sees us and knows who we are is 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 something that is admirable. And certainly yes, is, um, it speaks to the quality of your leadership and Thank you, sir. what you've been able to do and what you have made a priority like you constantly said in this interview that it has to do with the leader and we've seen that when the leader has a vision and when the leader knows what they want to do with the community then those things will be able to not only impact the church but the community as a whole that's good that's good thank you for that sir and we say this to god be all the glory yes, sir. <laughs> i don't want no credit for nothing that's <laughs> happening in this house man yes, we know if it hadn't been for the lord Yes, sir. who chose us and gave us the grace Amen. wanting to do what we do, um, it wouldn't be happening. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the leadership of my mom and dad too, right? Because they became really great examples. They are really great examples. Of course, my, my dad's gone on to be with the Lord, but my mom, 83, still kicking, yep. right? Um, bathed in holiness, reared in holiness, yes, um, in a, a great revival time, House of Prayer Incorporated, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, but, you know, the foundations that we stand on, we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. And you all, will continue to stand on those shoulders as well and carry the legacy on to the next generation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, we thank you for tuning in to us for these past 12 weeks. Uh, well, I'll get into that later. I might come back and do that a little bit later. Let me, let me just go ahead and uh, thank Pastor Phil Davis for um, giving a little bit of his time. As y'all can tell, y'all heard the notifications. So y'all know he is a very busy man. <laughs> so uh, just to be able to have a little bit of this time to for him to... Um, pour into us let us know what he's got going on um and also let us know how he feels about the things that we have talked about um in these episodes and giving his insight on that as well um from a podcast standpoint i want to thank you all for um engaging with us in the different areas that we have um produced this platform in as far as the google podcast spot y'all most of the stuff i say in the intro google podcast spotify things like that those who connect with us on social media, those who share our broadcast, consistently listen to our broadcast, comment on the things that we say, like our pages, follow our pages, things like that. Thank you for that. Um, I know it sounds like this, I'm like ending it, but I'm not. 
I, I might do something in the summer, but I'm gonna need the, I'm gonna need a little bit of vacation. Praise the Lord. So <laughs> I'm gonna take a little bit of time. But like I said constantly, that these were these twelve episodes, <laughs> right, Josh? These twelve episodes in the first season that we did um, was to be able to meet the quota for right. my um, voice for broadcasting class that I'm taking now. Um, also, kind of want to give a shout out to my professor, Dr. Ron McKenzie, for giving me the opportunity to continue this platform. Um, be on the lookout for us. I might pop up every now and then again and um, do some episodes in the future. Hopefully, I have the opportunity to be able to do that. And um, we'll continue on with how we do these things here. So, um, I once again want to thank you all so much for being a part of our um, broadcast here for these last 12 weeks. And thank you for engaging with us here at the Amen Corner Podcast. So, with that being said, for the last time, my name is Michael Purvis. My name is Joshua Powell. And we will see you all. So I ain't gonna say next week, but we'll see you all when the, when the Lord says. Same. Ooh, all right, right? <laughs> yes, sir. So, big yes, ups sir. to you guys. Congratulations, man! So proud of you guys and what you're doing. Just keep going strong. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag, serving God in black. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag, serving God in black. I only serve one God.